Grand Admiral Thrawn. But how is that possible? He disappeared years ago. I have reason to believe he is alive. And that his allies are working on a way to find him. You are certain of this? If I could get approval to send a task force to the Denab system, I could find out. General, be honest. Isn't this just another attempt to gain New Republic resources to aid in what has ultimately been your personal quest to find Ezra Bridger? Ezra vanished while fighting Thrawn. And that you conveniently use a threat of Thrawn's return to acquire those resources that could be put to a more practical purpose, helping the people of our fledgling Republic. Were you ever in the war, Senator? No. Just sat back and waited to see who came out on top? Once again, Bucketheads, Mavar Tigar, welcome to our 214th Practically Perfectly Per Gillian episode of Mandovision, Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small independent Star Wars podcast. We are so glad that you are here. Remember to find us on social media, reach out to the show, we're at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show at MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, following, and sharing the show. With all the Mandalorians in your covers. Well, how is everyone doing? Welcome back. It is a Wednesday, the day after the Ahsoka episodes have dropped on Tuesday night. I personally am really digging this new schedule uh, for for Disney Plus's release dates. For, for specifically, they're doing this for Ahsoka. I don't think they're doing this for any other series just yet. But I have found this to be uh, insanely beneficial because <laughs> I've been able to watch. Uh, last night I was able to watch the episode twice before I got tired and had to had to go to sleepies. But what an episode it was! Packed full of, of more great stuff, uh, uh, just wonderful homages to uh, uh, the the roots of Star Wars. Uh, a wonderful expansion of the story that we got a taste of in last week's two part uh, series premiere. Uh, there's just just a lot to unpack in this episode, and I have comprehensive notes to go through. <laughs> For it, for better or for worse, I think for the better because I, I think uh, with with last week's two part episode, uh, there was just too much, and I think uh, you know there'll be some things I have to go back to that I didn't cover deeply enough from that two part episode. 
Uh, but this time around, we're going to hit all the big keys because uh, there's quite a bit. There Again, there's just... Well, it, I think this is a wonderfully written episode because there's there's so much... Uh, uh, so many layers to like some of the relationships in this. And then uh, to the Star Wars galaxy as a whole, uh, they are, are more... Just again, just little lines of dialogue that I think just add so much to to what we know is happening in the in this in this period of the of the of the Star Wars galaxy. I'm keep saying that word over and over again, but this this part of the timeline, uh, it's important for us to sort of see a lot of the things that are going on, not just visually, but 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 get that deeper understanding of what exactly is happening here. And we're going to talk about it. That that scene, that section of dialogue that we opened the show with in particular, I thought that sequence had uh, just a, a lot of really interesting bits of dialogue and exposition, excuse me, um, that really sort of, well, we'll talk about it when we get to that part of the show. But, oh boy, I really enjoyed this episode. If, if I had one knock on the episode itself is that just not enough Balin's Cole. <laughs> you don't even see Balin until the very end. And as you may remember from last week's episode, this is a character that I am uh, uh, very, very fascinated with. Uh, we'll have to have a chance to talk about uh, Maruk more because there's been a lot of interesting things with that character uh, as far as the internet goes and the speculation of who's behind that mask. And I, I suppose it merits talking about a little, a little bit about, even though you know speculation is not my uh, forte necessarily, but there's been a lot of it. A lot of chatter, and I would like to address some of it on the podcast here. So let's go ahead, we'll get into our particulars for the episode itself, uh, and then we'll dive right into all the juicy aspects of this episode of Ahsoka. So, that being said, this is Ahsoka, episode three of season one, hopefully of many more seasons, but I guess that's TBD, right? Original air date is August 30th, 2023. The episode's title, Time to Fly. Directed by Steph Green once again. Written by Dave Filoni. Our plot for this week, Hera tangles with New Republic politics while Ahsoka and Sabine Wren voyage to a distant planet. Our primary cast this week, Rosario Dawson, Natasha Lou Bordizzo, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Ray Stevenson, Ivana Sakno, Diana Lee Inosanto, and David Tennant. So that's our cast for this week. We got our plot out of the way. So I think it's time that we go ahead and dive into the episode. So you know what that means, Buckethead Nation. It's time. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. Anger and frustration are quick to give power. But they also unbalance you. Let's go again. And so that's where our episode opens this week. We're in hyperspace with Ahsoka, with Sabine Wren, with Huang, uh, and we see Sabine working on her lightsaber skills. Uh, but we see her not with a lightsaber in hand, but with with wooden uh, bokans, uh, like we see in samurai pictures. So this this opening sequence, what I really love about it is uh, the the outright homage to uh, samurais, right? To to the influences of that that that. To the excuse me, to the influences that George Lucas had for creating the Jedi Knights in particular, uh, what we see is Huang with forearms and then sort of uh, these lightsaber esque <laughs> devices in his hands, uh, and what he's doing is, you know, as Sabine attacks, he's 
checking the cuts that she's making with her saber, learning her technique and how she uh, strikes and the efficiency of, with which she attacks. And it's a really cool thing to see, sort of see how he analyzes her attack patterns and, and, and the way he sort of evaluates her based off of them. Uh, I, I thought it was a really cool sequence, but it's it's a technique uh, that's from samurai culture, but put it into a Star Wars spin. So again, something very, very, very neat. Uh, and I really did, uh, I, I love seeing that homage. Uh, you know, this is not an outright uh, a Kurosawa homage, more of a, a general, more broad-based to uh, a Japanese cinema, but but also to the heritage of the samurai. So a very cool element to open, this, open the show with. Uh, and then Ahsoka steps in, and begins to do the training herself. And she does so by uh, doing something that we have also seen in Star Wars, which is, you know, giving your student a helmet with a blast shield down so that they can't see, so that they learn to trust their other senses and the Force as well. Uh, in Sabine's case, it's a little bit different because I think Ahsoka is aware, the audience is aware that uh, Sabine, not the most attuned to the Force. So for her, it will be about using those other senses and trying to to sort of feel the Force in, in a way that she's not accustomed to. Uh, another element of this scene that's very interesting is that there's a reference to uh, Zatachi, right? And at first I thought Zatachi might have been a, a, a form of lightsaber combat that I was unfamiliar with. <laughs> I went through all the forms and I was like, that's not one of them. And so, so I had to do a little bit more checking on that. And uh, this is a piece of Japanese cinema that I was unfamiliar with. But Zartachi is a series of, of films, based off of a based off a series of books from Japan about a, a blind swordsman. And so I feel like I should have known that because I think they've done something similar in uh, the Usagi Ujimbo comics. And I feel like I just have missed it. Uh, my brain cells just weren't firing on that. Uh, so the Zartachi is a reference to more more Japanese cinema that influenced George Lucas heavily as a, as a young person uh, when he was, you know, getting all the ideas and elements in his mind for creating of Star Wars. And, again, I think that's just a really, really neat touch. So, again, at first I thought Zartachi was a, was a new form of, of Jedi lightsaber technique that I was unfamiliar with. But, no, 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 not so much. Homage, a very direct homage, a reference even, uh, to, to more Japanese cinema that influences George Lucas, which, uh, again, I think is very, very cool. And through that sequence, again, I think it's a well-directed sequence. It puts a new spin on something that we've seen in Star Wars before. Again, that helmet with the blast shield down. Um, but it's directed uh, insanely well by, by Steph Green. It has a whole different feel to it than what we've seen in the past with, with Luke and the, in the, um, in the training droid, right? In the training uh, probe. And, and, Again, just thought it was visually visually impressive, very well handled, very well executed. That stoicism of of Ahsoka Tano as, as sort of like the, the master engaging their student, engaging their apprentice. I, I think it's all really well done. And with with Huang in the in the background, sort of watching and, and, and seeing these things, you know, those those kind of a, a piercing yellow eyes that he has, I, I think are an interesting background uh, device for for this for the shots to revolve around so very very neat stuff in, in those moments I, I really did dig that entire sequence uh, and since we since we did mention the the helmet with the blast shield obviously you know we're, we're making a reference back to Star Wars episode 4 um, one of the things I wanted to talk I didn't talk about in the premiere of last week was on Lethal when, when Shin Hati has her probe right out tracking down Sabine Wren uh, and it's a very direct homage to 
episode one of Phantom Menace. And why I didn't talk about it then uh, is because it's, it's something that I, w- I was first, <laughs> when they first brought the helmet with the blast shield down, I, I sort of, I didn't, I, w- I wouldn't say I were outwardly cringed, but Star Wars has gotten into like a little bit of a habit where it, it, it's become self-referential. And when I saw that episode one, I was like, okay, that's cute but I don't know how much I like it. Is this series just going to have more of those kind of moments? And when the helmet with the blast shield appeared, I, I sort of had that same thought. But again, the scene was executed differently. I thought it was executed very, very well. And, and so I, I was like, well, maybe I'll acknowledge the fact that I skipped over the episode one reference uh, because I, it, it just sort of was there. You know, I, I saw what they did. I just wasn't super impressed by it. This time around... Star Wars, yes, they did reference something, but they tied it to something larger, and the scene was executed in a, in a very different fashion than what we've seen in the past. So I did really, really like the sequence. Um, after this, we, we cut to we cut to that that scene where we used to open the series, right, or this episode of the show. Excuse me, I should say, where we where we see the New Republic defense fleet in action. We see a bunch of A wings rocketing through the sky, and I love the A wings. I'm a huge fan of the A wings from the old X wing. A space combat simulator game that was on the computers back in the 90s. Love the A-Wing. Super fast ship, super versatile. I find them to be uh, vastly underrated in the Star Wars pantheon of starships. But we, we catch up with Harrison Dula. She's getting ready to meet with the, a senatorial committee uh, to get approval to send a task force to Denab and, and see what Morgan Elsbeth is up to. So she's delivering this great report. And... The, the, the big takeaway from from this scene, from the opening of this, the, the, I, I forget the senator's exact name, but it's the female senator of the group just to the right of Mon Mothma. Uh, and boy, do these senators just sound so foolish and naive when they're talking about uh, the, 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 the imperial, the, the former imperials, the reformed imperials that now occupy every level of government in the New Republic. How do you say those words? And think that it sounds like a great idea, like some kind of crowning achievement. Like, oh yeah, they're all totally reformed. This can't possibly be a bad thing in the long run. <laughs> they just sound so naive and stupid and, 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 and blind and full of themselves that, uh, uh, you know, you sort of wonder, <laughs> why did it take the, the First Order so long to take, take these fools down? Um, it's, it's just astonishing the, the, the level of naivete that these senators seem to have. Uh, and then, of course, that 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 key moment that we highlighted in the opening of our podcast, uh, where Harrison Dula is engaged in in sort of a, a verbal a verbal sparring with with Senator Ziono, uh, a name you may remember if you've watched more Star Wars animated stuff, if you watch Star Wars Resistance, because Senator Ziono, the father of Kaz Ziono who we know from that series. So now we tie in some some Resistance stuff as well, kind of setting some things up there. So I, I love this whole sequence. I think it's wonderful. I love seeing Genevieve O'Reilly, of course, back as Mon Mothma. And I love that she's getting to play Mon Mothma at these different periods of, of not just her career, but her life. Uh, and, and seeing her at this phase, uh, you know, in, in sort of like a victorious uh, mode as the, as the Chancellor of the New Republic versus what we saw with her last time in Andor, you know, uh, struggling with with balancing uh, family matters and, and trying to to uh, get this fledgling re- rebellion off the ground. Uh, there's just a, lo- a lot of 
versatility with that character right now. And, and so we're seeing some very interesting things from Mon Mothma and Genevieve O'Reilly in particular. So I think it's going to be a, a pretty fun character for her to play who's played her at many different junctures uh, of the Star Wars timeline. Uh, so that's that's I would think that's a pretty fun opportunity for her to do. But what do I know? Maybe she hates it. <laughs> we'll have to get her an interview with her and see how that, how that plans out. Uh, but yeah, I love the sequence. And then after this, again, I think we all know what's going to happen. You know, it seems like Mon Mothma would like to to engage in in Hera in this this task force, sending them to Denab to see what's going on. I think Mon Mothma may be the only member of this senatorial committee uh, who seems to understand uh, the weight of of the imperial remnant, the threat that the imperial remnant still poses, and specifically the threat that the return of Grand Admiral Thrawn would pose to uh, a very fragile New Republic. These other senators, again, deluded, delusional. Uh, as Herod uh, asks directly to Senator Ziono, uh, were you in the war? And the answer is no. So they don't understand. They, they don't have uh, the experience with the Imperials that Mon Mothma, that Harris and Dula have specifically and know the treachery, the, the, uh, the, the links to which the Empire will go to, to, to not fall into the, the shadows of history. So, again, it's a powerful sequence, but I think we all know that they're not going to give Hera the authorization that she needs. Uh, so she leaves the, the, the meeting room. I think she's hopeful, but real at the same time <laughs> that it probably ain't going to happen. And this is our live-action introduction to Jason Sindula, coming around the corner with his, with his flowing green hair. Uh, again, the son of Hera Sindula, the son of Kanan Jarrus, uh, who you may remember parishes in Rebels, re directly referencing the family members that she's lost to Thrawn in the Empire when she's getting mad at the Senators. Um, and it's cool to see It's cool to see the, the kid. Uh, he makes reference to wanting to be a Jedi, like his father before him. Though how much Harris told Jason about Kanan, I guess, is sort of an unknown factor at this point. But uh, Jason seems very excited that Sabine is, is, is trained to be a Jedi, uh, due to, and I, I love the relationship between Jason and Chopper. I think that's really cool. If they get a chance to explore that a little bit more, I'd love to see it. But uh, a, a neat sequence. And then we're going to cut back to Ahsoka and Sabine having an interesting little chat. And I want to, I want to play one, one little stretch of dialogue that I think is very important because as we sort of talked about last week, Sabine's ability to uh, use the Force has been something that we have questioned on the podcast uh, that many other people have questioned on their podcasts, on the internet at large. And so uh, Ahsoka is going to take a little time to sort of talk about that. And then I'm also going to play the bit that's after this, where Ahsoka and Huang are having a conversation on the bridge. But let's play this bit between Ahsoka and Sabine first. And, and just take notice. It's, it's interesting stuff. Again, a lot of things packed into this episode. So here, here you go. Force resides in all living things, even you. If that's true, then why doesn't everyone use it? Talent is a factor. But training and focus are what truly defines someone's success. Not everyone can handle the type of discipline it takes to master the ways of the Force. 
start small. So there we go. We're starting to explore this this a little bit differently. And I'm, I'm curious. I, I think some fans will push back against this, this, this bit of information. I think some fans will embrace this bit of information. Um, whether you look at it as, as expanding our idea of what it means to be a Force user or if it's conflicting with what we think we know to being a Force user. I guess that's up to each individual person. Um, I'm willing to wait and see where they take this, how far they're willing to, to go with it. Uh, but I'm, gonna, I'm going to juxtapose it against the scene on the bridge between Ahsoka and Huang here in just a moment. Uh, so it, it's, it's a lot of interesting back and forth between the two on just what Sabine's abilities and, and potential can be as far as being a wielder of the Force. Uh, the bit coming up with Huang, I think, is very, very interesting. We'll talk about it after we play it. So I guess what that means is I'm just going to go ahead and cue it up for you guys, and we'll take a listen, all right? So, what do you think of our progress? She's frustrated. Still a challenge for her. You both knew this wouldn't be easy. Well, what you said didn't help. I only spoke the truth. The Jedi Order would not have accepted her. She is not an acceptable candidate. By their standards? Standards which were proven over a millennia. And failed. You realize, historically, there have been very few Mandalorians who ever became a Jedi. I don't need Sabine to be a Jedi. I need her to be herself. No. I suppose you do come from a long line of non-traditional Jedi. In that way, she fits right in. So I love that bit of <laughs> non-traditional, a long line of non-traditional Jedi. I think it's very cool. I love, I really enjoyed uh, Yang's, uh, Yang's uh, 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 sarcastic tone throughout the episode. Sort of like the little snarky jabs that he makes at people, the shots he takes. Um, I really uh, have enjoyed David Tennant's voice work in this in this series. Uh, he, he gets to be a bit more, again, a, a little bit more Br uh, like British snarky uh, than he did on Star Wars: The Clone Wars his first time around playing Huang. So uh, that's a very neat little twist. I um, one thing I want to point out here. <laughs> I want to also make reference. I th I thought about talking about this last week too, but can we can can we give Ahsoka's ship a name for the love of God? Because uh, you know T six. 1974 is not like the easiest thing that rolls off the tongue. So it'd really be cool if, you know, her ship had a name. It'd be very more Star Wars fun uh, if, if we got a name. Just calling it like the T6. That's, that's boring. Who cares? Give us a name. Don't maybe keep referencing back to uh, back on the T6. Like, oh my gosh. I don't like that at all. So I'd appreciate a little bit more help on that. So what's about to happen? Because uh, as we're having that conversation, Sabine is. Uh, still at the table, trying to uh, uh, move that cup just a little bit with with her uh, limited ability to access the Force. Um, and again, you know, depending on how you feel as a Star Wars fan, you 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 will find this new uh, line of thought on on the Force as as sort of expanding our knowledge on 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 beings be able to, being able to use the Force, or you will find it to be a contradiction to what we know, and you will push back against it. Um, I think, by and large, many of us are in the camp that, like I, like I mentioned earlier, that we, we want to see if this is an expansion, if this is going to go somewhere, how this kind of shakes out. But it, there is something to be said for sort of like the line of, of thinking is like, well, 
Does that mean if Han Solo practiced enough, he'd be able to use the Force too? Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious where this all goes. Um, again, I'm willing to go on the ride. Let's see where we end up. Though I suspect by the end of it, you know, Sabine's going to have at least a limited control over the Force, a limited ability to access the Force. Control may not be the right word to use in, 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 in reference to uh, Jedi arts. But I also like that Sabine, or excuse me, that Ahsoka is not looking for Sabine to be a Jedi. You know, she wants Sabine to be Sabine, but she needs Sabine to be able to do more, to not be limited by by sort of the, the, the ideas and the, the beliefs of the Mandalorians, right? It needs her to be a little bit more, to be more fully herself. I, I think that's an interesting idea that Ahsoka has to sort of uh, uh, push Sabine into being more. Uh, so again, we'll see how she goes. I have a feeling it's all going to work out in the end, but I guess we'll have to wait and find out about that. Uh, because what happens next is uh, we get the holocom from Hera, informing them that they're not going to be able to join. Uh, the New Republic will not be coming. Uh, Sabine seems confused by all this, seems unhappy about it. Like, why can't you just pick up and go? Like, why can't you get on the ghost and just we'll, we'll meet at Denab? Not really sort of, doesn't seem to, at least this, my inference is that she doesn't really seem to have, like, process that there's uh, a lot of uh, bureaucratic red tape now. Hera just can't jump in a, in a ship and, and, and take off. She's a general in the New Republic. A lot more uh, responsibility and, and uh, protocols to be followed in, in that situation. And, and that's right before uh, comms are disrupted because they've entered the DNAP system and all outgoing transmissions are being jammed. Uh, but this gives us a chance to drop out of hyperspace early to see what Morgan Elsbeth has been up to. And it's that giant hyperspace ring that we, that we, we saw last week, the Eye of Scion. Uh, and this leads us to some great, great, great Star Wars space combat. Gotta love it. It's a hallmark of the, of, the, of the series. And I was so glad we got to see some cool Star Wars combat in this one. Uh, uh, two squadrons of, of three fighters uh, open fire on the T-6, uh, led by Maroc and our, our favorite Shin Hati. And uh, Shin rocking a little bit of a, you know, we, we saw her rocking the, the traditional Jedi uh, Padawan braid uh, last week. You know, and this time we see her don another piece of familiar uh, prequel era headgear with the uh, headset that is familiar to to uh, what Anakin wore in Episode Three, right? So another kind of nod to the past as as this Padawan is learning from Valen Skull, who seems to be a little stuck in time, maybe, and and is um, <laughs> honoring the, those old Jedi ways, even though the Jedi are long gone at this point. So. Again, I'm very intrigued by these characters, by the, by this, this by Maroc, by Shinati and Balin Skull, but we don't get a lot of a lot more uh, information on them, and a lot more background on them. So they're they're still very uh, mysterious to us. Uh, we do get to hear uh, Maroc engage in a little bit more conversation this time around, and let's go ahead and, and we'll just put it out there now. You know, a lot of speculation centering around Maroc being Ezra Bridger himself. My personal opinion, I feel like that is crazy and it would be just too, would be too far out of left field for me for my liking um i suppose they could have it be like a you know sort of like a brainwashed ezra bridger who was lost in space for a while after after the end of the battle of Lothal. but i think it makes more sense for bridger to be in the same place as thrawn um but i guess we'll have to see how it shakes out another big rumor is that uh, because the voice of this character is being done by Sam Witwier, that perhaps we will get a, a recanonization 
of the of the character known as Starkiller from Force Unleashed. That would be intriguing. That that character uh, in the video game was the secret apprentice of Darth Vader. Will they go that far? Maybe, maybe not. But probably not. I mean, at least we know that if Vader was involved in getting him to the Inquisitors, it probably, possibly, again, something we speculated about. Uh, and and this character did uh, that character did have a different name prior to being Starkiller. It was raised by he had Jedi parents. Again, sort of sort of going against what we think we know about the Jedi in, in a sense. But I I I, I want to wait and see. I still think that this character will have a, a more of a connection to Balin Skull than than uh, than just being some kind of um, reformed Inquisitor. Reform is not quite the right word, but. We'll, we'll see. I want to see how this shakes out. I've got, I, you know, I don't like to play speculation because I like to get, uh, I like to have that that moment with the big, I like the big reveal moments. I don't want to have a bunch of theories running around in my head ahead of time, but that seems plausible, more plausible to me than the idea of Ezra. But it could be completely new. It could be something completely different. We'll have to wait and see. Let's all be patient. Let's not get crazy on the speculation. So anyway, any hoot. Uh, we engage now in Star Wars Space Combat. Initially, it is the T-6. Uh, Ahsoka piloting. Sabine in the tail gunner position. And Huang attempting to conduct a, a deep, thorough scan and analysis of the giant hyperspace ring that we see in the distance over the planet Denap. And the space combat is cool. We see Ahsoka and Sabine not quite on the same page in how to uh, combat these ships that are attempting to destroy them. Uh, but eventually they're going to come together and start, you know, we see the beginnings of, of a good team between Ahsoka and Sabine. So that's very, very neat. Now we also get to go and have some fun as we get closer. So, you know, Huang's urging them to get closer so we can complete his thorough scan of the hyperspace ring. And the hyperspace ring, I think, is a lot of what a lot of us think it is. It's big and massive because uh, they have to go to another galaxy. So they need, they need a lot of propulsion power. And that's ultimately what it's revealed to be. But it's, it's fun to see them have to get closer and closer, come into, in the, into the range of the turbo lasers on the hyperspace ring, and ultimately see the ship get disabled, because this leads us to a really great sequence where Ahsoka steps outside and engages in lightsaber combat against spaceships. <laughs> against starfighters, specifically. And it's neat. It's a great sequence. It's fun to watch her running around, doing the flips out in, in zero-G. Zero-G, is that right? Zero-gravity? Yeah. Uh, and then the, the maneuver that we see Sabine initiate to bring Ahsoka back in the ship, rotating the wings on the T-6 uh, to help propel Ahsoka back into the cabin when she's in danger of being, being blown away by, by Shin Hati. So... That's an element of the T-6 I do really enjoy. It was fun to see that ship do some things this time around, the, the, the way that the wings rotate around and changing its, its uh, access points. Uh, I thought that was really, really neat. I enjoyed that aspect of it. I loved them being able to do different things with it in combat because of that. So I think the, scenes, the sequence is very dynamic. Steph Green directs the crap out of it. Uh, it's, it's really, really well executed, really, really well done. Uh, and seeing more of the T-6's capabilities. Not, it doesn't seem to be an offensively powerful ship. But it has a lot of versatility, a lot of maneuverability, uh, and I think that's very, very cool. So at one, at one point, as I said, the ship's disabled. Um, Sabine is trying to get the ship powered up again. We get that great space combat, and then once the ship's powered up again, we descend down into the planet, and down to Denab, 
Uh, and that's when we get our first visuals of like live action Pergo. And I thought that was a really cool sequence. Uh, you know, we've we've seen asteroid battles and and you know all kinds of, of of space battles in Star Wars where there's a lot of objects around with which to navigate and to engage in the combat. But moving between the Pergil, the herd of Pergil, I thought was super well done. Very very cool. It doesn't look like anyone blows blasting Pergil, so either those Pergil are uh, pretty good at anticipating these things, or uh, maybe. It's maybe it just was luck of the draw that, that it didn't seem that any Purgle were getting hit by blaster fire. Not that I'm sure it would have done too much of the Purgle, but, but very, very interesting. And I can't wait to see uh, how that herd of Purgle on Dinab uh, plays into Morgan Elsbeth's plan. You know, uh, uh, for, for a while I sort of wondered, speculated, if, if she has to capture a Purgle to get to where they're going, if they're going to try and harness uh, a, a Purgle in that hyperspace ring. So I'm wondering if that's part of it, or if there's going to be a ship that that goes, or if that ring is is powerful enough on its own to traverse the space between galaxies. Uh, there's still I still have a lot of questions. We know that it's a powerful engine, that it, it it could possibly do the things that we need it to do to get to where Thrawn is. But again, I, I'm sort of you know bad guys taking advantage of of Pergil seems to be on on track with bad guys. You know, capturing a, a poor innocent Pergil, strapping him to a hypersurf ring to lead them on their migration patterns, pathway to uh, Peridia. Uh, there's a lot, to, there's a lot to, 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 to sort of wonder about what's coming up next. And, oh God, it's a, it's a great sequence. The whole sequence is great. There's not a lot of dialogue to play from it. Um, but it's fun. The back and forth between the characters is all great. Even the bad guys, you know, Shin and Morgan sort of, take jabs at each other these characters the bad guys don't have a lot to do in this episode is very much more focused on our heroes uh, so i do like these little moments that we get with the bad guys uh, uh sort of sparring with each other in a, in a in a less aggressive way than we maybe have seen in the past from bad guys but still very very cool so i do want to get to the very towards the very end of this and and it's it's interesting to note that for much of the space battle huang was offline because after he got the the um just prior to the ship being disabled. <laughs> he completed his scan, but then he went completely offline and has missed all the fun of seeing Purgil, of seeing Ahsoka on the wing of the ship, uh, all these great moments in the, in the combat. So when he finally comes back online, and and they... they well, let's just play the scene. I think it'd just be easier to play the scene. I'm going to play the scene, but I do want to play... The, I'm going to play the entire thing because I do also think it's interesting. I liked that there was a, a, a reaction from Sabine seeing the Purgle for the first time since the Battle of the Thal and, and Ezra's disappearance. So I do like that that's acknowledged and I'm going to play that part to open up the sequence here. Here we go. Are you alright? Haven't seen those creatures since the day Ezra disappeared. Anything interesting? Indeed. The good news is the enemy vessel is still under construction and not yet complete. There are six hyperdrive engines in place, with the final one being set into position. So it is a hyperspace ring? Yes, but I have never seen one built on this scale before. A craft with these power levels and configuration would be capable of a hyperspace jump of astonishing speed and distance. Yeah, could a ring like that make a jump to a neighboring galaxy? Theoretically, if one knew the coordinates and navigation, yes, I believe it could. 
The Jedi Archives speak of intergalactic hyperspace lanes between galaxies, which used to follow the migration paths of star whales named Purgle. Like the ones we just saw. Really? When? So there we go. A lot of, again, more information here. So you can extrapolate from what, what Huang just said that at some point in the known Star Wars galaxy, intergalactic travel seemed to be something that maybe occurred a little bit more frequently with some regularity here because everyone seems to be aware of it, right? So possibly the Star Wars galaxy is, is uh, home to beings from other galaxies already, and we're just now beginning to explore it, to talk about it. And you can also postulate that potentially intergalactic travel, uh, extragalactic travel, was more common a long time ago. So what changed? Why did that change? Why did that go away? Was it dangerous? Was it not safe? Were there threats in these other galaxies that people weren't prepared for? Well, I, there's, a, there's a lot. There's a lot of information <laughs> that uh, we are left in the dark about. But again, speculation time. You know, we can, we can get into it. There's a lot to get in there. And, and wonder about, and, 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 and again, I'm curious how many answers we'll get from the show, from the series, as it plays out, as we begin to, to ponder the idea of going extra galactic. Um, and and I, guess I, just, I guess I'm just intrigued. I can't wait to see where we go, what directions it all takes. Uh, I, want to, I want to loop back to Sabine uh, talking about seeing the Pergil for the first time since Ezra left, and sort of like the, there's like sort of a, a, a small smile on her face as I think she realizes that they're on the right path. Seeing those creatures, I think, uh, uh, sort of lights a little bit more hope in her that they're on the right track uh, to finding Ezra Bridger. So very, very exciting stuff. And it's after this that we finally get to see Balin's goal. And let's just get him to close out the episode for us, okay? Jedi have taken refuge in the forest. Hunt them down. All right, I'll leave it right there because it's just a really dramatic shot of Ray Stevens looking dramatic and imposing. <laughs> but that's the end of our episode. It's a short episode by comparison to the first two parts of the series last week. Um, but it, it has a great, I think it has a great pacing. I like the just the, the, the breadth and depth of information that we're given in the episode. So I really like that. I know some people are kind of complaining, like, oh, they're doing that thing where they do the short episodes again. Well, okay. You know, not every episode needs to be 55 minutes. I, I'm just saying. We got a lot of information. The story moved a little bit forward. I, you know, I do wish it was, maybe it was a smidge longer. But <clears throat> I'm very intrigued. It looks like next week will be an episode where we get to spend more time with, with Shin, Maroc, and Balin Skull. And maybe even get a little bit more information on these characters who I am uh, just completely enamored with. Want to know more about. Want to see their connection to uh, Balin's connection in particular to the other to the Jedi of the past. And uh, uh, you know, what do we find out about Shin? What do we find out about Maroc? If we find out anything at all next week, uh, I'm very very intrigued. I love this episode of the show. Uh, I think it set up everything very very nicely moving forward. I give it eight and a half buckets. The space combat alone is is worthwhile. And then, again, we're exploring, uh, we're trying to expand our understanding of the Force as, as an audience, right? Like, this, this show's challenging us to uh, consider the Force in some slightly different ways for a character who is not traditionally considered an appropriate apprentice for, for learning to be a Jedi, right? 
uh, it, you know, hoeing is sort of like that counterbalance to the old ways, while Ahsoka is 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 offering a new theory, a new idea, a new way to uh, uh, train someone in the ways of the Force without necessarily having to follow the 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 uh, the edicts, the coda of the Jedi that she has seen fail. Which is again, this is an interesting track for her to be on, considering she sort of has em- 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 embraced, I don't think it's the right word, but sort of supported Luke Skywalker's ideas of following the old traditions of the Jedi and bringing those back at his academy. So I want to keep seeing how this shakes out. I want to see how this plays out. Uh, I, I like that Ahsoka wants to be to be not a Jedi, but something something different, much like she is herself. Uh, and let's keep exploring that. Uh, one thing I didn't get to mention uh, earlier in the episode is back in that scene with Hera and the New Republic senators is I really like the sort of idea. You know, it's it's been interesting, right? We're, th- we're three episodes in, no Thrawn yet. I like the Thrawn is just sort of like this 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 looming menace, even though we haven't seen him. He's like the shark from Jaws right now, you know, where the just the idea of Thrawn uh, gets people really nervous and uncomfortable. You know, it's like the idea is like you don't have to see the shark to know that he's in the water, right? That's that's there's enough out there for you to be like, hmm, maybe I think twice about putting my foot <laughs> in that water and going out too deep, you know. So I, I like the Thrawn is is like very threatening and menacing without even having been seen yet. Just the idea of his return causes Mon Mothma to sort of pause and, and reconsider because again she's the character who knows the threat he poses these other senators they're a bunch of doofuses they don't count but the, for the characters in the know yeah Thrawn's a big deal and they know the threat he poses to the new republic so even though we haven't seen him through three episodes uh, just, the threat of Thrawn is very very real and very uh, tangential tangential tan- <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> we'll just say with real my words aren't working today folks i'm sorry about that uh so i love the looming threat of thrawn it's it's it provides a lot of menace for for a character who hasn't even been seen in live action just yet so great great stuff love the episode again eight and a half buckets uh the series is gold so far i'm really having a good time with it it's been a lot of fun and i can't wait to see uh the way the show keeps challenging us pushing us to uh reconsider the way we, we, we look at Force users and the ability to use the Force. Let's see where that goes. Let's see if, there's, if, they, if they can uh, deliver in, in a fashion that makes a lot of sense and, 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 and changes our ideas of, of Force users. Uh, we'll see if that, if that landing works. Uh, otherwise, I think I got all my notes, right? We did it all. Uh, the only other thing I don't think I mentioned is that the starfighters that Shinati and uh, Maruk are flying... They have a, a familiarity visually to uh, well, the, the craft we saw General Grievous flying in Episode 3, but they, they're not directly linked, I don't think. They just sort of have a similar visual flair. Uh, again, sort of reminding us that, that maybe maybe Balin Skull's holding on to the past a little bit too tightly if this is like a, a, a prequel-era, Clone Wars-era starfighters that he's having his apprentices flying in. Uh, so waiting to see that, how that shakes out more, or if it's just more of a coincidence. But... Knowing Dave Filoni, I don't think there's a lot... I don't think he has a lot of uh, coincidence in his Rolodex. So, I think it's for a reason. I think it's for a reveal later on. You know, as we get to know more of Balin Skull and who he is and what uh, his connection to the Jedi is and and his history with them. So, I can't wait to see that. Uh, Otherwise, I think we're done here. I think we can wrap up the show. This is the Mandivision Podcast. My name is Tom, Nargai Tom. 
Thank you for being here. Thank you for always supporting the show. Bucketed Nation is the best nation on the planet, in the galaxy, and in all the other galaxies as well, since we're going to go extra galactic soon. Make sure you're following us on social media. I truly appreciate the, the follows, the likes, and uh, tagging me on your posts. I love it, love it, love it. Thank you for doing that. Find us at Mando, Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. I guess it's X now instead of Twitter. I don't know. Um, <laughs> email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, and share this podcast with all the Mandalorians in your covert. If your podcasting platform offers reviews, please write us some reviews. Give us five stars. They help small independent shows like us stand out, not get lost in the extragalactic shuffle that exists out there. So we truly appreciate you taking the time to do that. And again, it's a great way to support our podcast without having to do a whole heck of a lot. You, you don't even have to write the review. Just you know, you know, thumb on the five star. Boom. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Uh, again, continue to be excellent Star Wars fans. Be supportive. Be kind. This series has a lot of people who don't know the history of Ahsoka. Don't chastise them. Don't rub their face in it that they didn't watch Clone Wars or Rebels. Uh, help them out. Embrace them. Maybe not during the show. That'd be annoying. <laughs> but offer your insights to the characters, to the history, when you can. Be supportive. Be welcoming. Be great Star Wars fans. That's what we need out here. Uh, this podcast does not tolerate the toxicity of the Star Wars fandom. So... Just keep being great Star Wars fans. You already are, and be, and be welcoming to the new ones. Uh, we need to grow. We need to grow the fan base. Can't get big enough. All right. I think with that being said, we'll be back next week for episode four of Ahsoka. But in the meantime, remember this podcast can only end one way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Hey, mom. Mom. Is it true Ansemine is going to be a Jedi? Now, where did you hear that? Chopper told me. I want to be a Jedi. Yeah, I know you do, Jason.